Welcome to the Tune In and Level Up podcast. I am Glenda Hovenkamp, your host, and so happy you tuned in for a few minutes of leveling up together. I love having deep conversations on meaningful topics, some spiritual, some practical. Come as you are, tune in while walking, cooking dinner, driving, or just putting your feet up at the end of the day. Here's to both of us getting some takeaways that help in our leveling up journey. Hello, Krista. I, I'm welcoming you to this episode of Tune In and Level Up. And I want to just tell my listeners what you're all about. So your specialty is rescuing wildlife. And it's not only a hobby, you have some academics to back that up, some experience. And so I have so many questions for you. And I want to hear about your organization which is Paws and Claws Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in College Station, Texas. Is that right? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. But yeah, I run Paws and Claws Wildlife Rehabilitation. So we focus on rehabilitating any injured or orphaned wildlife in Texas. So we take in pretty much any species. We are state and federally licensed. So, for example, birds are protected under, under the Federal Migratory Bird Act. So, so lots mm-hmm. of birds. Yeah, we do get lots of birds, especially songbirds and raptors. Um, Songbirds, for example, are fed every 30 minutes. So they're a very hefty commitment every time we take one in. And we can easily get in like 100 songbirds at a time. So uh, it's very extensive sometimes. So um, just so that my listeners know what your background is, um, I want to just full disclosure, my husband's a, an Aggie, a devoted Aggie, graduated from AM many years ago, and he spied an article about you in AgriLife Today. And it was it was featuring the work that you're doing. And so he thought it was just such a great article and what you're doing is wonderful and suggested you as a guest. And so I want to hear about your your AM studies. So Tell us what you were studying and when you graduated. Yeah, so I was a wildlife zoology major with wildlife and fisheries department before they kind of switched that to the ecology and conservation biology. But um, I graduated this past spring, so I'm a very recent graduate. And right now I'm focusing on my shelter work, so I'm doing this full-time. I basically did it full-time while in college, too, which was quite the commitment as well, just trying to juggle class and constantly feeding animals and triaging animals. I mean, there were a couple of times when I was in a, in my class, like my anatomy class, and somebody texted me and said, hey, I have a hurt bird on campus, but I don't have a car. Is there any way I could get it to you? So they met me outside of my classroom with that bird as soon as it ended. So <laughs> there have been quite the stories. <laughs> I cannot even imagine. Um, so I would love to just, you know, reel backwards to when this all started. How did you get involved in, in wildlife rescue? So my mom actually did it. She was licensed for over 20 years, but then she retired quite a few years back. And about around that time, most of our other wildlife re- rehabbers in our community also retired. And at first it wasn't too terribly bad because the vet school was able to at least take in wildlife and transport them to Houston 
but around 2020, they completely cut off their wildlife and exotics program. So the wildlife had literally nowhere to go unless people were willing to drive an hour, an hour and a half to Houston or something, or one of the larger cities. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, people wouldn't do that. They would rather just leave the animal because they didn't have the means or the capabilities to drive it so far. So I, in 2020, I started Paws and Claws and I, it was pretty small. I got my license and we just started taking in as many as we could. At first, it just started with game wardens bringing me animals. The public would slowly discover me. And after a while, I started getting more and more discovered. We had a social media presence, which helped people find us. And now we're easily taking in a thousand animals a year. So that's amazing. So if you could put your mission statement into a few words or like what your goal is, what what would you say your mission statement is, Krista? So we take in injured and orphaned wildlife to release them back to the wild, happy and healthy. So we want them not only being released to where they can sort of be okay, but we want them healthy and thriving once they're released again. So we take in both babies and adults, and that all requires different steps we have to take to make sure that they know what they're doing once they're released back. And we never want to release an animal that might still have a defect or something that makes it to where they can't hunt properly or forage properly. So. Mm-hmm. So does that mean some will become permanent residents with you or that they just won't make it? We do have some that are permanent residents. I have my personal education team. So I go to schools, clubs, um, all different organizations around town to just tell them about our mission, explain that wildlife are not too terribly scary and how we can coexist a little better. Um, On my education team, I personally have a three-legged possum named Peggy. Uh, she lost her leg when she was just a tiny little baby, but obviously we can't release a three-legged possum back to the wild. So instead of just having a euthanizer, she gets to have another purpose in life and she always loves the attention. So it worked out quite well. Oh, that is sweet. So that was right. Your your organization started right in the heart of the pandemic. Yes. Yes. Plenty. Um, so... I'm sure you do have some sad stories mixed in with the success stories. You probably can't save every animal, right? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, a lot of times whenever the public identifies an animal needing help, wild animals in general, they do not want to show any sickness, no injuries, because as soon as they show signs that something's wrong with them, another predator is going to come along to grab them. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to hide it until the very bitter end. And that's usually when people recognize that they're sick and injured. So, I mean, a lot of times whenever we get animals in, they're like agonal breathing, they're in distress. They might even have organs out. Uh, we It's not uncommon. Almost daily, we have bones sticking out where it's an open break. So we get the more, the worst of the worst cases, but also good cases too. But a lot of times, if I have an animal that comes in perfectly healthy, it probably didn't need to come in. So another part of my job is making sure we're not accidentally kidnapping that animal from its mom. I read in your article that you're one of the only ones, if not the only one in a in your in the Brazos Valley area. Is that right? Or are there others? Well, I see that we have one other person now that only takes in possums. She trained with me for a while and then recently got her license. So she takes in possums, but she also doesn't have 
pre-release cages. So they actually still come back to me for pre-release and then release. Mm -hmm. And so I had to Google to find out how large is the Brazos Valley area. And I learned that it's uh, includes six towns, including Bryan and College Station. So that's a pretty big area. That's like seven counties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, I really, none of our other surrounding counties have anything else wildlife wise as well. So I'm constantly taking in animals from other counties. So I have not only the Brazos Valley, but everywhere else as, as well. Krista, it sounds like your no word does not work very well. <laughs> you, your, the your word is yes. <laughs> when somebody <laughs> when an animal's in need, your your answer is yes, right? <laughs> yes, and that can be a problem. I say no very little times, um, just because whenever I say no, a lot of times that animal has nowhere to go, and people just leave it to die. But at the same time, if I overwork myself too much, which I've gotten to that point almost before then we lose our quality of care. Mm -hmm. So it's a struggle to make sure that like, not only do I have enough volunteers to try and help me out, but I need to make sure everybody's constantly fed. I need to make sure they're actually taken care of. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to manage quality and quantity and saying no is incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate enough to not have to say no too many times, but there's definitely been some times when I just absolutely cannot take maybe a baby raccoon or something else. You have broader goals beyond right now. So tell tell us where you would like to go professionally. What are you hoping to do? So ideally, I'm hoping to be a veterinarian. Uh, I would love to have like a full functioning center eventually to where we can help out the Brazos Valley. Maybe even the vet school can learn more about wildlife and have rotations coming through. And then we could have more help for wildlife. Even finding a veterinarian that will help you with the wildlife right now is incredibly hard. I do have, I'm fortunate to have a veterinarian I can work with, but otherwise it's very tough to find somebody. But ideally I'd go to vet school, be a veterinarian, and then I can come back and really have like a nice center and fundraise so we can help all the wildlife ideally and never have to say no. Mm -hmm. So do you have a goal in mind as to when you'd like to apply and get started? I have applied for vet school now, and I'll find out probably next year whether I get in anywhere. Okay. Well, you no. certainly have my vote. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. I would like to know all the different animals, if you can just rattle off the different types of animals that you've served. So just a couple to name a few. We've had bobcats, beavers, songbirds of all types. Great horned owls, barred owls, raccoons, possums, skunks. Uh, we've even had some bald eagles come in. Uh, turtles of all different species. We've had squirrels. I know I'm forgetting a billion different species. Nutria. We've even had mice <laughs> come in. Uh, flying squirrels. In your photos, which the photos in your article were just stunning, it seems like there was a little gray fox or. Um... Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have gray foxes, red foxes. Uh, we had maybe seven gray foxes this year. So not too terribly many. And then we had maybe four red foxes. You've served a lot of different varieties of animals. And I've wondered, 
do you just have to Google? Like if one comes in that you've never worked with before, how do you know what they need to eat and what their symptoms mean? Because you're not a vet yet. How do you do that? So I normally would either reach out to another rehabber that happens to specialize with that species, or even have some of our rehabbers have books to where it's like a some compilation of different rehabbers writing what their experiences were, what the best formulas they found to be and common symptoms that you would want to look for. So there are certain rehab books that we can look in and we can just kind of go to that species and look up the basic information about them. So like sometimes I can't remember what a baby beaver eats. So I have to go into my book, just double check that I'm feeding the right formula. And so there's some definitely some less common species that you want to be careful with. So, you know, it's like this is probably just inborn in us and maybe it was learned from our parents or whatever. But I have a healthy fear of wild animals. They, I mean, it's sort of like I, I keep my distance from them. I figure a lot of times if I'm walking in the forest, that's their land. I'm just I'm the intruder. So I, yeah. I would not I'd probably I've kind of been taught not to touch and so you have to touch some of these animals. And yet some of them I would think of as scary, like the cougar are. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, how do you approach without them being so afraid that they hurt you? I always try to keep my movements nice and calm. And we also have different techniques we can use for every species. Like for example, our birds of prey and songbirds Whenever you cover a bird's eyes, they get so much more calm because you're just eliminating all the different stress factors, really. And they can still be stressed, but they're going to be a lot less stressed if their eyes are covered to where they can't see. Um, And then there's other animals, too, where, like, as long as I know how to safely handle them, I'm less afraid of them. I I really have no fear of them, unfortunately. But, but, um. I I kind of know how to handle them. Like, for example, if you don't know how to handle like a heron or a pelican that I've gotten in, then those species can potentially kill you because they can aim for your temple and like one good blow to your temple and you're dead. Um, They also aim for the eyes. But as long as you know to hold that beat, then you're generally going to be safe. But there's so many different safety requirements that you want to keep track of and make sure you're implementing to be safe for both you and the animal. Mm-hmm. So we also have really thick gloves and blankets we commonly use to handle everybody because we want to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. Like even with rabies vectors, I'm rabies vaccinated, but I always want to make sure that our rabies vectors aren't actually biting somebody or scratching them because they are rabies vectors. So mm-hmm. that means they can kind of hide babies for an unknown amount of time. So it's not like a dog and cat where they have a very specific incubation period. Usually. I would love to hear how it makes you feel to be able to work with these animals, save some of them and actually, you know, release again. What does that feel like to you to actually have a success story like that? It really feels amazing. I mean, we've had some truly brutal cases come in that had a amazing outcome with us and it's just the best feeling when you have something that looks hopeless turn out to be better than ever whenever we release it so it's just nice to have be able to be a voice for the wildlife because they have nobody really right now so I get to be their voice for them 
I get to be their ambassador, really. Mm-hmm. So I just love being able to learn their personalities with almost every species. I'm able to know more about them and each individual animal. So it's just such a nice experience to be able to do. And not many people are able to have that experience in their life. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you have a specialty or a favorite as far as that you're well known for this particular animal? I wouldn't say I'm particularly well known for a certain species. I take in pretty much everything. So, I mean, if you ask somebody that has dropped off an animal, they might say, oh my gosh, yes, she's great with owls. That might just be because they've dropped off an owl and they saw that I was good at handling it. So uh, it definitely just kind of depends on who you ask and say I'm just good all around. Like there's nothing in particular that I'd say like, oh my gosh, every time I get it in, I'm just really, really good at that species. If someone became aware of an animal, do you go and get the animal from them or do they have to cage the animal and bring it into you? Uh, We normally work as a drop-off basis unless it's truly a very, very dangerous animal for them to grab. Like if they have like a, a heron or a pelican, then I'm going to go grab that animal because again, it could potentially kill them. However, it's just a baby squirrel that's a newborn, a couple days old. And most songbirds are generally pretty docile and most people are able to get them in a box safely, whether it's with a thick towel, an old blanket, some good pair of gloves, or maybe they have somebody else nearby that can help them out. We do definitely work as drop-off bases because if I'm driving 30 minutes one location and 30 minutes back, that's an hour out of my day that I probably need to be home feeding songbirds. I want to know what your greatest needs are, Krista, because I'm sure you need to clone yourself. You need lots of donations, <laughs> but I, I wonder if I, you know, what, what help do you need? Um, that's a sticky one because I mean, really we just need donations, preferably monetary donations just to help us build ourselves up because right now we need a new wildlife rehabilitation building. We have a small portable building right now that we're trying to finish out, get electricity to, put some cabinets in, get our medical supplies in there and put our incubators in there. But again, that all takes money and uh, it's been a very, very slow progress. So, I mean, there's sometimes when, for example, we need flooring donated so we can put flooring down to where we can bleach that floor constantly and it can be durable against all of the wildlife messes that happen. But in general, we just need donations. We're constantly trying to upgrade our enclosures. Our enclosures are good right now, but they're not great. So we we have very little room. Even if we had more land to expand our shelter on, right now we're operating on my parents' property, which is about 10 and a half acres. And although we are on 10 and a half acres, I don't really have access to the full 10 acres. So we're just trying to work on a very limited space, and it's very hard to do whenever you have animals absolutely everywhere, especially because in the spring, like out of that thousand animals, almost all of them come in during the spring. During the fall is our slow season where we mainly just get hit by car animals and baby squirrels. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely just new enclosures, bigger and better. A flight cage for larger raptors would be amazing. We have a small flight cage at the moment. 
And yeah, it all just takes donations, unfortunately. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so all of them are tax deductible. We're slowly building ourselves up. We had a little conversation before I began recording. And so I got a little window into your your situation with Paws and Claws. And you told me that you're not taking a salary right now because the donations are even not quite enough to cover the expenses of taking care of all the animals and keeping the the buildings up. And so I'm just kind of in awe of you, Krista, because here you are, you have a degree from Texas A&M, you studied hard, got that degree, you're wanting to go to vet school. And this is really your full-time job, taking care of these animals, and you're foregoing a salary right now. And so I'm just hoping that some listeners are thinking they'd love to get behind you and make a difference in this new nonprofit. And so I'm I'm promising that I'm going to put some information in the show notes and on social media when I post so that they know how to find you, like on PayPal or Venmo or however they might be able to send a donation and that they'll be able to find you on social media if they wanted to offer something else to you. Do you think that would work? Absolutely. We appreciate any and all help. Even a small donation goes a long way. So we could really use it. I pour my heart and soul into this shelter. And there are some days I work much longer than the average person. I mean, there's some times when I'm getting up at 6 a.m. and I'm going to bed at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. So it's just long, long hours, but very rewarding work. I enjoy and love what I do. If you're feeding songbirds every 30 minutes, I'm thinking you must be the queen of cat naps. <laughs> you're like, you Pretty much. a few minutes and then you're awake. <laughs> yeah, but luckily they do sleep. So they get up at dawn and go to bed at dusk. So I at least don't have to feed them through the night, unlike the mammals. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that that is good news. That is good news. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much. And I I really am so impressed with your passion for this, the, your heart for this. And I wish you such great success with Paws and Claws and also with getting into vet school. And I think you'd be an amazing veterinarian. Do you have any closing words for, for my listeners that maybe to encourage them and their pursuits of whatever they're going after are in, in how they view animals and taking care of the environment? just keep an open mind chase your dreams and never give up I mean it may be a rocky road but you can do it if you put your mind to it well you are living proof and a wonderful example of that so thank you so much Krista well thank you so much for having me thank you for joining me for this episode of tune in and level up please come back Until next time, let's make every day and every opportunity count.